welcome back to another episode of Behind the Mask. This is Eugene. I'm usually with my co-host, Dennis, but I think he got abducted again. It's either that or he's off saving some animal in some rainforest somewhere. But fortunately, he's not with us, but I do have a special co-host today. And if you guys remember from our last, actually, it was like two episodes ago, but we're bringing her back. And we are now going to bring back B Young's Paxson. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, B, we did good. We did. We did good. And we had quite a few actual hits on the episode and a lot of likes on yes. our Instagram. So we're slowly growing. Uh, we are totally up to 80 people now on Instagram. I'm so excited. 80 people. <laughs> Woo! So now we also have a special guest. Um, he is a legend in paintball. He started out this format that we are now seen played out and we wanted to bring him on so we can get the history of how it started. We want to get his history in paintball because the one thing we've noticed is that at least a lot of these kids that are coming up don't fully know the history of paintball, where it started, how it started, where it's going, you know, well, we kind of see where it's going, but we want to actually bring in somebody that has been around for a while in the industry and has a lot of knowledge and also did a lot. So we want to bring in Steve. Let me unmute him. Steve Davidson, y'all. Steve Davidson, I'm so excited. Okay, sweet. I am here. <laughs> thank, thank you for having me. Hey, welcome to Behind the Mask. You know, we're really excited. When B brought you up and started talking to me about you, I was like, let's have him on because we definitely want somebody that has more knowledge than both us combined, that's for sure. Totally. And want to know all about your history. And, you know, she told me that you are the reason for the style of play that's going on right now. Oh. So X-Ball. Yes. Yeah. He inspired Actually. it. Did you, and you wrote the rules pretty much. I, I wrote, well, I wrote, I've, I've written a lot of rules for paintball uh, back in uh, 83 or 84, no, 84, uh, Skirmish USA was having uh, a regional tournament uh, prior to the first national um, championship hosted by uh, Paintball Games Association, Jeff Perlmutter's uh, old company, PMI. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I had seen rules for tournaments from other events and uh, I was a game designer and I knew that uh, if this was going to get serious, it needed a better set of rules. So I wrote, I wrote, I wrote the rules down for that first little local tournament. Um, Various aspects of it were adopted for the uh, PBGA uh, association tournaments. Uh, and at that point, I actually I got very interested in writing rules for competition paintball because um, in a, if you're doing like a board game or a role playing game or something, the rules for that, you have a, a very, very controlled environment where the game designer can decide everything that's allowable and not. And through play testing, you can uncover the holes in the rules uh, and you can pretty much create a, a defined little universe where everything works the way that it's supposed to and everybody follows mm-hmm. the rules. But with a live sport, there's this little factor that creeps in there. It's the human factor. Uh, and uh, somebody will always find a way to take your rule and uh, get around it. it 
or twisted or For used sure. it in some unexpected manner. And I found it very, uh, very challenging and interesting to try and come up with a set of rules that answered the problems we had with competition paintball. Uh, and that provided a universal set that could be adaptable for any format or kind of field that you were using, team size, all that kinds of stuff. Wow. Um, and then a few years later, uh, Kevin Donaldson and... Um, yep, I know Kevin. And uh, Jim Anderson, who is sadly not with us anymore, mm. um, approached me and said that they were thinking of doing a, uh, a new tournament series. At the time, uh, Lively was the big tournament circuit. And, yep, I know uh, Jim. Yep, Jim Lively. Jerry Braun had his uh, yeah. his uh, World Cup tournament in New York. And there are a few other larger ones, but... Uh, um, big names. They were yep. all... They were all promoter-driven, and they were all, uh, you have to use event paint, which mm -hmm. by that time, the teams were really, really starting to bitch about those associated costs. The fact that they couldn't get the promoters to institute any of the changes that they were begging for and all this other kinds of stuff. And Jim, Jim and Kevin came along and said, we're thinking about doing a new series. Uh, we want you to write the rules. Uh, and uh, put together the scheduling and everything. We, we want it to be what paintball tournaments should be. So I wrote the rules for the ASO, and uh, either a year or two years later, uh, we put the NPDL together. And um, in fact, uh, Billy and Adam Gardner had volunteered and were selected to be the heads of the rules committee for the new NPPL and their initial task was to come up with the rules. And I kept on calling them and begging for the rules, but they had to be reviewed, they had to be read, I had to distribute them to everybody to get their buy-in, you know, the whole nine yards. Nothing, 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 nothing. And finally I said to everybody, I said, look, we, we're running out of time. I'll write the rules. I don't care who the hell's name is on them, but I'll write the rules so that we wow. have something for everybody to look at. So I did the the first set of NPPL rules, which were written as a universal set of, of tournament rules. The idea was that you could say to somebody, we're using the NPPL rules and section 42, or we're leaving out part seven. And everybody would have one document that they could be familiar with and go to and say, oh, so they're, in, they're gonna have the uh, four foot distance rule at this particular tournament. But everything else is going to be familiar to what I have already played under and been judged on. Uh, that was the basic idea. Because, you know, things happen so fast out on the field. And a single call can be so critical to the outcome of the game. Not just the call itself, but how long the referee takes to make a decision and let everybody know what that decision was on the field. The least that you can do is give everybody uh, a, a known set of rules that they're familiar with so we can avoid all the arguing about, well, they didn't play it this way at that tournament and, you know, this kind of thing. Right. It's almost like um, what you wrote via the MPPL standard is like the Bible, in essence. 
right? And And then all of a sudden these new religions form. (laughs) So you're adjusting it. (laughs) Now, now don't get me wrong. The the, the idea at the time was that we still had some major issues to work out in terms of rules and officiating, not the least of which in, in 92, 93, when we started NPPL, was how we're going to do hit visibility. Okay, the, the big the big argument at the time was, look, we've all been there. We know that we've been hit. Right. We felt the impact. But if we take that half a second to look and see if it broke or not, we are going to get shot. So, yes. So what do we do? Are we obligated to make the check and, and leave ourselves vulnerable? Do we keep on shooting and risk a higher penalty? Interesting. How do we, how do we resolve all this stuff? Right. And the first the first go around was we called it um, the areas of responsibility. And we even had a little diagram of the human body. And it was the, the front and the areas of your body that were easy to look at were deemed to be the player's ultimate responsibility. So right. if if you had a hit on your stomach, let's say, that you could just glance down real quick and see did it break and you kept on playing then that was cause for giving you a major continuing to play while hit penalty. But if it was on your back, your responsibility was to call for a check, but you didn't have to take yourself out of play because the judgment there was that that checking would make people think that you were wiping, which we didn't need more accusations of on the field. And stopping play to turn and call another one of your teammates and take him out of play to say, hey, check my back, was just, just interfered with the game far too much and with, with players' sense of fairness about recognizing valid hits and whatnot. So that was the system that we came up with. Unbelievable. First. We're, Eugene, we're talking to the man, Right. This is blowing my mind right now, listening to him basically explain how they were going to determine the hits and if it was the player's responsibility and his honor, right? Because again, (laughs) you know, like you're creating this code. It's crazy. It is crazy how much, I mean, I'm just sitting here and it's like, I don't even know what to say. My mouth is dropped. Okay. Continue. Now mind you, you, (laughs) we, we discussed all of that. And in my own mind, the rules were being written on the assumption that everybody cheated all the time as much as they possibly could. Of course. That's a good (laughs) baseline. Uh, And, um, you know, there was uh, Ronnie Kilborn. Yes, Ron Kilborn, my former teammate. I, I wish that I remembered the exact quote, but he was involved, one of the first teams to come to the ASO. And he was very skeptical about the whole thing, deservedly so because of what we had all been through for the last 10 years with tournaments and whatnot. Right. But he said something along the lines of, and this was in reference to the the team initial preliminary round scheduling of who played who. Mm -hmm. He he looked at the schedule of who the Bushwhackers drew and he looked me dead in the eye and he said, this really sucks. And and I and I started to say something, and he said, "But it's the best we've ever had." <laughs> that is awesome. And he also said something about, and this was in an NPPL meeting, 
uh, where he said, um, don't any of you sitting around the table try and say that you've never cheated because we've all done it <laughs> and we all know that we've all done it. Yes. So it's, it's time to put everything out on the table, confess your sins so that, <laughs> so that we can come up with rules to deal with this effectively. And it was a it was a very big moment at one of the NPPL meetings. Huge, and you were there. What yeah. a poignant moment! That's I wish crazy. I was there. That's like mid nineties, I'm assuming, right? Ninety three, ninety four. No, ninety three was probably exactly wow. when it was the, the <gasps> annual meeting in ninety three. We had had the first one in ninety two at a Days Inn or something in Chicago. Rennick Miller got the location and whatnot because he was very keen on having this whole thing go together. And uh, we wanted to meet in a centralized location so that nobody had to fly all the way across the country. You know, all these little political kinds of and and uh, talking about this on your own turf versus somebody else's turf and all, all that kind of stuff. Believe me, all that stuff was playing into it. Um, and wow. uh, so but the rules um, were critical for several reasons, not the least of which was um, I approached an organization called NASO, which is the National Association of Sports Officials. And this is the organization that's behind the referees who do the Super Bowl and the World Series and the Stanley Cup, all the way down to your local softball leagues. Uh, and I wanted to bring them in and put together a program where their referees could be educated and how to ref paintball and then offload the entire refing thing to a third party outside of paintball, presumably no political yes. uh, affiliation. No bias, no, yeah. And and the, the balk on the part of uh, paintball itself was two things, was it's going to you know, nobody, nobody can rest like a player can rest. Right. Yeah. Okay. True. Unless you put them out on the field and train them and train them and train them, which can be done. Mm-hmm. The other yeah. thing was the expense. We were going to have to start spending real money on game officials and they just, yep. they just did not want to do it. Mm. So we're, we're still lacking that element of it. Should have dumped more money on that, honestly, but okay. <laughs> That's, I think, that if there was one regret, and if we could go back in time, maybe we should have done it, guys. <laughs> we, can, yeah, we, can, we can still do it. We can Let's still do, do it. it. Yeah. So um, we're going to do it. But, uh, rules, you know, one of the problems with paintball, and this is, this is how I put it, you're dealing in the industry and, and on the field with teams, you are dealing with a bunch of people who each individually think that they can go out into the woods with a gun and prevail over everybody else in the woods with a gun. <laughs> now, if you think about the kind of personality that that takes, and then you sit down and say, we need to cooperate on something. Right. It's not that easy because everybody's way is the right way and the only way. Mm-hmm. You're just um, you're pulling in a ton of alphas to try to uh, oh oh turn this yeah, into, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, yeah I deal with those all the time so Truth. I definitely know that <laughs> and and that's been that's been a perennial problem with the industry to get to get cooperation across the board and put something together that has you know everybody's effort behind it and whatnot it's one of the reasons why the TV thing didn't go really anywhere or nearly where it should have. 
you know, I'm the only person who produced a paintball tournament on television that did not pay the broadcaster to air the tournament. Everybody else has been infomercials. Really? Everybody else has been infomercials. They have bought the time and then had the right to sell ad space for that in order to make their dollars back. But I'm the only one who did not have to pay for the airtime. Unbelievable. We got to talk to this man more. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So, okay. So with that said, and and we just mentioned how there's still time to make a change for the better. Um, Is it, and we talk about this often about, the lack of there being a manufacturing association, um, the lack that there is no players union, and then there's really no ref code or ref union per se. Um, In essence, in the way that you guys originally had that plan to have a third party organization, right? And so now we're in 2021. Um, Are your thoughts still feeling like, yeah, there should still be a third party my, my thing, at least, I, I have very much divorced myself from paintball over the years. I uh, I do that annually. <laughs> I have temptations to do that annually. There, there, there's a there's a lot of hurt there, and oh. it's it's largely for two reasons. One is that um, uh, I was not treated well when it came to the uh, what's now the NXL format. Yeah, originally the USPL format. Um, and uh, was taken uh, majorly advantage of. But the reason why that hurt so much was that I was a game designer. And right. that, that game form, live television game format, was my, here I am, I know how to design games, and don't you want to hire me to design your game kind of an effort. Yeah. And, and it worked. And, I mean, I am here to tell you that the vendors area at our paint fest tournament where we rolled that format out for the first time emptied, emptied. Is it the IAO, right? Deborah Dion's event? No, no. Where did you debut this? Maybe I'm I'm at an event in 2000 called paint fest. It was in Iowa. I'm sorry, Indiana. Oh, I'm confusing it. I'm confusing it with that X-Ball format that was conducted at the IAO, and it was, I think, the USA team versus... Um, it was, it was, no, it was IAO, right? And Chris Lasoya, Oliver Lang. IAO Nations Cup. Yeah, that right? was... They well, called it was, Nations Cup. This was well after that. I mean, mine was well before. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That. So that was called... That was at the 2000 Paint you, Fest. Paint Fest 2000. Yeah. Paint Fest 2000. And and to give you some give you some idea of, of how different it was, there was no entry fee for the teams. <gasps> what <laughs> a was, concept! There was no there was no hotel fee for the teams. Get that out of here! Wait. We, we brought them in like they were professional sports teams. We just did not pay them salary to play. Oh my lanta! We we need to to implement that because that oh, sounds yeah, so better now it, that thing would fly and really- uh, even even better every single team had their own dedicated staging area for the duration of the event you know here's your table and your benches and this is your space for the entire four-day you know weekend. they do that in other countries except ours <laughs> 
Mine is always so hard. I I don't understand. I I think maybe it is a cost situation. Maybe they don't want to set up extra tents and tables and rentals. This is this is what it was all about. I was out to show that we could deliver everything that all the other promoters were delivering in the stadium parking lots that they were playing in and calling it playing in the stadium and all that other <laughs> all that other kind of I was stuff. there for some of those actually I was there all for of a lot of yeah oh, was Pe- people of people in the stands you had yes. to buy it had to buy a ticket at the ticket booth to walk into the event all that kinds of stuff and we did it by being creative we didn't Absolutely. hire we didn't hire a stadium i got an entire county fairgrounds with all of the buildings all the infrastructure which included food and beverage water yes. um shelter everything makes sense you want to guess how much it cost me uh $50 an hour <laughs> <laughs> i don't this know is, how much this is in 2000 okay Okay. $1,500 for the entire weekend. Get that. See, listen, I'm right, though, because at my local fairground here in small town, Ravalli County, it's it's very inexpensive. Kind of it's a per hour thing. Um, But that makes a lot of sense if you're going to rent it for. Well, back then. Now it's probably triple that. Right. But 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 it's very affordable to do it that way. This is like ten thousand to twenty five thousand dollars a day. Yes. Everybody listen. Yes. Do that. Someone. (laughs) Um, And and everybody everybody told us that the facilities were great because they had bathrooms and changing areas. They, Stables we, for your we, animals. We, 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 well, we, we, we <laughs> that mucked, could be the pit area. We, we <laughs> mucked out. We mucked out and cleaned up all of the cattle stalls. Yes, the individual team staging areas. Because of the four H's. They had the a F- roof. F- they had a roof over their heads for the entire weekend. Um, and we used some right. of the extra money uh, to put on a fireworks, a custom fireworks display sponsored <gasps> by Tom K. Um, we had a million dollar target shooting prize contest i um, i think that should be co- that should come back all that you know, all that kind of you know it was let's put on a sporting event hello and, and you know you know where all this started and i still find it to be a very interesting statistic yes i was watching um paying a lot of attention to sports and sports broadcasting and sports sponsorship and the industry of, of sports marketing and whatnot and I found out that the Women's World Cup Soccer Championship that was held in the U.S. um, filled uh, Kennedy Stadium in New York better than the Pope's visit had the year before. (laughs) Holy Melania. And I said to myself, first of all, paintball is a co-ed sport. So Mr. Broadcaster... This can be pitched to both male and female audiences because Thank there you. are players who they can identify with mm-hmm. in Preach. the game. Yes. And then the other thing, women filled the stadium more than the Pope. What more do you need to hear? Exactly. But I backed it up with this. That same year, the number 40, 4-0, broadcast sport, 
that was taking in over $4 million a year in sponsorship money was women's college field hockey. What? What? Have you, have you ever watched <laughs> women's college field hockey on TV? No. Never. Okay. Somebody is paying to broadcast that $4 million a year. And paintball can't get two cents from a broadcaster? Hello? What's going on? I don't understand it. What's we, going on? Why are we not already doing this right now? Let's Because the people who run the tournaments have never learned that they have to give up a great degree of control in order to get the benefits. And they are unwilling to give up on their little pond in order to enter the big lake. And so, okay, so now, and I, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but that's not truly for the player, nor oh, it no, is I'll, I'll, not I'll for the game, <laughs> right? It's honestly for the people that are economically benefiting in a monetary way. Is that right? Well, or am I wrong? Look, what I, what I, ASO tournament, Kevin and I and Jim Anderson used that tournament and the NPPL to shove bring your own paint down the throats of the industry. They were fighting us tooth and nail to let that rule go through to host a tournament series where you where the players could control how much they spent on paint. Which is, you know how it is. It's the biggest expense other than travel that we have to deal with as a team. Because right. you got practice every weekend. You got and then so you got practice every weekend. You're going through cases and cases of paint at right. the time at at four and five and six cents a ball. And then you go to a tournament and they're charging you 12 cents a ball. Ooh. Again, no and, and so ASO was actually um, not charged, or they were allowing BYOP. It was allowed, bring your own paint. Now the entry fee was higher than people were normally accustomed to seeing because we had to make up the budgetary gap somewhere. Sure. But it wasn't or, inordinate. It wasn't inordinate. I think it was. I think it was, if I remember, came out to a seven, one hundred and seventy-five bucks a player. Okay. Um, for the entry fee at the time, which was high, um, but because uh, um, you were back in NPPL early days, ninety-three, back, that, five that on was, five, seven on 90, seven, ninety-one, ten on ten, ten on oh, ten, ten and, I, and I will never, I will never forgive Lively for going from fifteen man to ten man. To tell you the truth. 15 man oh. is so much more superior. <laughs> you had, no I'll tell, kidding. I'll tell you exactly why. It used to be 15 on 15. 15 That's on 15. Insane. And each game was an hour and each field was about a 40 acre field. I'm but mind blown right now. I must wow. have deleted that out of but, my mind. But the thing was, you could, you had the luxury of the bodies to take chances with your tactics you could lose five or six guys and still be in the game. Right, right. And it made it so much more, it put more emphasis on psychology and tactics than it did on shooting. Um, and that's one Smarter of, players back then, I'm assuming. Strategic well, mind. I don't, I, I don't know if you can say smarter because some <laughs> of them were fooled by people faking uh, 12 grams being popped and stuff like that. But. Okay, that's again <laughs> playing the gray, or, or just again playing to the rules and seeing how you can. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, gotcha. But, uh, you have you have an hour and this huge plot of land, and you can say, 
we're going to go here and we're going to sit for 15 minutes and see what those guys do. You had the luxury of that kind of stuff. You had the luxury of taking five guys and running them on a complete suicide mission to distract, distract the other team. You still got 10 players over here to do something else with. Can you imagine that playing, playing these days? And, and uh, Lively basically said, I mean, it was an economic calculation. If we're getting 10, 15 player teams into a tournament, we can probably get 20 10 player teams into a tournament. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I hate to say that's that is smart thinking there, but well, and but then, but then they said, you know what, we can double attendance at our tournaments if we go to five man. Hey, why don't we go to one man and just have everybody stand in the middle of the field and spin around in circles until they fall over? Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're already there. <laughs> we're at Steve. that point, yeah. <laughs> we are playing 1v1s. In, yeah. In, yeah. I mean, in, in, in this one on, day and one age, One-on-one on one with the right format could be a fantastic thing to broadcast, but it would have to be the right format. I concur. Which- which they did try with ESPN. They were doing their whole one-on-one. They didn't have me. They didn't have me. (laughs) We need you back. We need you back. Well, Steve, we would love to have you with us because what you're telling us sounds amazing. And I don't, I think right now is a good time to probably bring something like that. And people would eat it up, especially because we're having that resurgence of paintball because of last year's COVID and all that other nonsense. Yeah. But now that we're seeing these players, you know, come either coming back like myself, I took a break off of this and here I am, I'm coming back. And if my wife lets me play on a team, I'll be back out on a team. Yay. But Please. Wifey. Definitely- found, uh, over the years, I have found a successful uh, uh, bargain for that with, <laughs> okay. with, with, Ooh, the wife, with the wife or the husband. Okay, what is it? As you walk out the door to go play, you say, here is the credit card. Go have fun. Perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> That's awesome. I, you know what? I, I'm going to try that because my wife's big into vinyl records. Don't, send, and I'm don't tell send me the bill. <laughs> Steve said you'll you'll like to go to the record store. So here you go. Yeah. Oh my I had, I had I had a good team buddy who used to hide his gear at my house whenever he bought new <laughs> stuff because he couldn't get away with justifying it to his wife. <laughs> but, he's a, but he's a really good back player. So you know, <laughs> we, we did what we had to. So we Steve we had to. Steve, you said that you're a you were you're a game designer. What games did you design prior to getting into this madness called paintball? Well, I designed a whole mess of stuff as a development project for various other game companies um, before I made any kind of a name for myself. Um, I worked with Thassa. Uh, Mm-hmm. on um, a developing a, a role-playing game based on uh, Harry Harrison's uh, Death World trilogy of stories. Mm. Uh, it's a world where the entire ecology is united against the human colony on the planet. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I worked on um, an adventure for the uh, Larry Niven Ringworld role-playing game series. And that series folded right before they published my adventure. 
Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, I did a bunch of development for uh, Steve Jackson Games, who did uh, little the mini board games like Ogre and Car Wars and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, my, my my understanding is that Steve still has one of the maps that I drew for an expansion set that we did in his office because he liked it so much. <laughs> oh um, wow! But uh, <sighs> at that point, we decided, my friends and I that I worked with, that we wanted to go out and do something on our own. And at the time, this was in the eighties. Uh, mini board games were the rage at the time. They were basically a one sheet map. Uh, one little card of uh, counters that you could cut out uh, and a rule booklet. Uh, and they were produced cheap and they sold, you know, for $4, seven, eight, nine dollars whatever. Mm-hmm. And we knew that we had the budget to produce uh, a mini game like that. So we were working on, we need to come up with something that's going to put our name on the map. Right. And... We're talking about this, talking about that, talking about the other thing. And one day, one of my friends said something about Christians in the arena during, you know, the Roman era. Okay. And and I looked at him and I said, that's it. And he said, what? And I said, Christians versus lions. That's our <laughs> mini game. There you go. Oh, wow. So we designed the game and we called it a runaway game because basically one player does nothing all game long but try and run away from the bad situation, which is a lion. The lion tries to commit mayhem by killing as many Christians in the arena as it can. Okay. Um, you get little bored. You get little bored. You have to roll up the character of the lion to find out how agile, fast, and hungry it is. Um, and uh, the the Christian units get, they have a movement factor, how fast they can run, and they have a prayer factor. So right, okay. before, the, right before the lion gets to attack any of the Christians, they get to pray for divine intercession. Okay. And, and every once in a blue moon, like in the real world, every yep. once in a blue moon, your prayers are answered. <laughs> <laughs> So this that is became, amazing. This became, this became a big hit in the gaming circles. Okay. It's now considered to be a classic collectible board game. Copies have sold for as much as $50 on eBay. Oh, wow. Fast. You know, I don't see a dime of that. But, um, <laughs> but I Damn went, it, Steve. <laughs> but I went, to the, I went to the National Gaming Convention that year that we produced it to be informed that we had been nominated for most humorous board game 1984. We lost to another game. Everybody knew those people. They didn't know us, so I'm not surprised, but it was nice to be nominated our first time. Sure. And uh, I went around to every single game company in the industry. Oh, yeah, we've heard of you. Great game. Funny as hell. So are (laughs) are you interested in helping me produce and distribute it? We really like it, Steve, but you know it's just a little bit too over the edge for us. Every what? single one, every single one of those companies, <laughs> oh. they loved it, but it was just too outre for for them to uh, to get behind. And mind you, this was at the height of the moral majority, and uh, you know Nixon getting together with the uh, with the evangelists to and that that whole political thing. Mm-hmm. We we sent we sent a copy to Jerry Falwell. Hoping that we would get a response, but they were smart enough not to respond. 
<laughs> but uh, we went on to do several games in the uh, in the same vein of runaway games where one player is basically an active player and the other is just trying to avoid a nasty situation. One of them is called Stomp, and it's basically uh, when the Martians invaded uh, during a Wells's War of the Worlds. Yeah. They, they, they invaded and they failed. Well, the, Venus- the, the Venusians were watching and thought they could do better. And that was that, what that game was based on. And basically, it's the Venusians with death rays and flying saucers and giant robots that stomp on things. They land in Manhattan. And in order for the Venusian player to win, he has to get his units to cross the river into New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> hey, that's my birth state. <laughs> me, me, me too. And the uh, the now at the time that we did the game it doesn't exist anymore. But at the time, New Jersey had one of the few National Guard armored units, which was okay, the, which was the 50th Armor. Mm, and yeah. I, I worked I worked with those folks on on a few things. Um, and so the human player who is represented in the game by um, citizens and New York City cops uh-huh. trying to stem this alien invasion with little to nothing, to basically just get out of the city. They have a chance of getting the 50th uh, activated and into Manhattan to help fight the alien invasion. Um, <laughs> And I'm here to tell you that, yes, we did discuss it, but we did decide not to do ovens and Jews. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Can you do it? I bet in 2021 now you could make that Christians versus Lion game work. uh, No? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've actually. No, I've been. No, I've been working on it. Oh, good. Uh, Because I I really think it now it probably will take off. I have one. I'm, I'm working on the uh, classic movie edition of Christians and Lions. I like it. And the classic movie uh, edition lets you introduce things from classic movies other than the lions. So you can bring in the velociraptors for Jurassic Park. Okay. To, to okay. chase the Christians around. Um, I like it. <laughs> you, you can, have you ever seen the movie 20 Million Miles to Earth? Not yet, but no. I'm going to now. <laughs> it's a it's a Ray Harryhausen uh, stop motion animation. Film. Okay. Uh, a ship comes back from a Venus expedition, crash lands in the ocean off of Italy, but one of the things that survives is a sample of a creature from Venus that they brought back with them, and it's called the Emir, and it's a two legged lizard looking like thing, but under Earth's higher oxygen content, it starts to grow. And grow and grow and grow. Okay. To you know, like King Kong type side. Yeah, yeah. So, so in the game, if you want to play the Emir, that unit during the course of the game is represented by successively larger and larger counters on the board game. Um, there's uh, uh, you can bring in the uh, rodents of unusual size from. Uh, <laughs> A princess we need bride. to make this a big game scenario. Let's call DJ Hanu Fox right now. CPX Sports, if you're listening, and our other four other listeners. <laughs> yeah, all four of them. And, 
And uh, do this. We- Let's do Christians versus Lions, the big game. <laughs> Mario brought to you by Steve Davis. That would really be funny. Let's Holy do it. Man. I'm not. I'm all about it, man. I want to be a Christian though, so I can pray for everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Now you have to. I'll be the savior, you guys. <laughs> you, you, ha- you have to know that that the that the results for prayer in that game. I have to memorize very, it. We're very carefully based on the probability of getting a particular die roll. Okay. So that all the possible die rolls that have a high probability of showing up have absolutely no result in the game. Okay. It's only on the very like if you were to. If you were to roll, um, it was you rolled three six-sided dice for whether God intervened or not. Okay. So um, he would definitely intervene if you got like a three, three ones. Three is a good number. Right, or or an eighteen, which was all yeah. sixes, kind of the same, and it diminished from there. Um, there was there was luck, was uh-huh. one of the results. So basically the line could just get distracted for a couple of seconds by the crowd noise or whatnot. And, yeah. and so leave you alone temporarily. Um, there was diversion where it definitely got distracted. And the instructions in the rules are that it immediately turns and attacks the closest child or woman, oh, no. or woman uh, <laughs> uh, figure in the game. Um, which might Rude. be the one that it was already attacking, but um, <laughs> and, and uh, or or divine intercession, which was a separate table. The earth could open and swallow the lion. Lightning bolt could come down and fry it. You know, it could get a thorn in its paw and sit and wrestle with its identity for a while. You know, oh. all, all all these kinds of things. This is and we're going to make this happen. Man. One of the one of the funniest things that I ever had happen with the game was I got a telephone call from somebody who said I I just was playing your game and my girlfriend and I really enjoy it. Yeah. But I have to tell you that one of the one of the intercession results is really starting to piss me off. Okay. And I'm like, okay, what? One of the results is lion in heat. You, int- <laughs> you, you introduce a, a, a lion of the opposite sex to the arena, and the lion that's being played by the active player has to chase it around the arena until it gets into the same hex with that lion before <laughs> before it's allowed to go back to attacking people again. Uh-huh. And he said, every time she gets that result. She runs away from me and giggles the entire time. <laughs> Listen, did you know CPX's Forrest Brown? Oh, yeah, I knew Forrest. I knew him from gaming. Yeah. I knew him from paintball. Yeah. Because that's what he did. And yeah. he did some like fit little figurines for some movies. He, he, had, too, he right? had he had Martian medals and they yes. did they did gaming figurines. And I even had a set of the ones for the uh, John Carter of Mars. Uh, the the four armed Martians and the and, and uh, Deja Thoris and John Carter and I have a, yeah and I I, I Forrest uh, ran one of my uh, GTO tournament okay. series events at his field yeah uh, and uh, he was one of the guys that was you know working at trying to turn this into a sport in a, in yeah. a in a realistic straightforward manner and uh, yeah. Cook Bill Cook was the head referee. Yes, I remember Bill Cook. Yes. 
So, so yeah, I, yeah. You so do Steve, them all. how did how did you get into paintball? Because uh, well, <laughs> all right. Yeah, now, what year was that? I played my first game in 1983. In 1981. That was when it was, started. I yeah. played 83. My first Two game was 81. Later. Yeah. Yeah. I was wow. working at, at AT&T. I was in a group, a venture capital group at AT&T that was trying to develop the technologies for doing computer-based training and interactive video discs. Uh, and... Um, Remind me to tell you the telephone, st- the video phone story. Before video phone story. Video okay. Story. And uh, we were going gangbusters and I was literally working 36 hours a day, eight days a week. I was loving every minute of it, but, you know, we were all working very, very hard. Uh, we got a ho- We had a hotel right next to our building. We got a permanent room over there so people could go over and crash and take a shower and whatnot. That's how intense everything was. Jeez. And one day my mother called up and she was talking to me and she said, you know, you need to go out and have some fun. And I'm like, I'm having fun at work. No, you have to get out and do something different. I'm, yeah, my, yeah, my, yeah, my. All right, mom. <laughs> how so, old were you, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? In, in your 20s? Yeah, I was in my 20s. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I, was born in, I was born in 58. So... 78, I would be 20. So in 83, I, I, in 23, 24, somewhere, somewhere around there. Ancient history. Um, good years, though. Very good years. <laughs> she mailed me a clipping from a newspaper that had an article about Skirmish USA in the Poconos, the friendly war game. Oh, I know history of that. And I'm like, that sounds interesting. Maybe I'll check that out. Yeah. So I brought it into work and I talked to all my crew and everybody else that I worked with. And I said, you want to put a group together and go out and do this? And then, yeah, well, yeah, sounds it. So I eventually ended up with like eight or nine or 10 people. The minimum to get a group rate was like 20. So we didn't get to that. But and um, I learned my first lesson in paintball. Yeah. What was that? We're all going to meet at the office. And we'll carpool out to the field together. Okay. It's going to take us an hour to get there, so we'll meet at 7, 7 a.m. 7 a.m., I'm in the parking lot. Please tell me that they didn't show up on time. 7.15, nobody else. He's like hurting cats back then, too. Nobody else. I finally said, oh, screw it. I'm here. I want to do this. I'm going to go do it. So I drove out there myself. I played my first day. I had a great time. I went back and played the very next day again. Oh, wow. And the following weekend, again and again and again. And wow. I, became, I became the first player at Skirmish USA, other than Paul, the owner, to own his own paintball gun. Really? And let me tell you, there's nothing in the world like strutting through the parking lot with a gun strapped to your hip when everybody else is out there for the first time going. (laughs) (laughs) What was that marker, though? What was it called? It was a PGP. PGP? And not only was it a PGP, but it was the three stack two PGP, the the tilt and shoot 
Yes. No stick feed, the no nothing. Shoot. The top tube was a 10, well, was a nine round magazine. If you wanted to load all 10 rounds from your tube into the gun, you had to put one in the chamber and then have nine in the tube and rock and cock. That's what my husband just said. <laughs> When I said tilt and shoot, and he goes, <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. <laughs> but uh, wow, and, and you know what? You know what the cool thing about playing that, playing with that era technology back in those days was. What most people you could count on getting nervous if you were approaching them and they missed their first shot. So okay. nerv- so nervous that they could not master getting another ball into the chamber. So you mastered it. You could you? You, uh, you could just walk right up, you know, bang, bang. Okay, you missed me. And just walk right up on them with the gun down at your side. Walk right up on them and go, bang. <laughs> that was, oh, I bet that was so fun. It was, it was. Oh, and, my gosh. Um, and surrenders were a big thing back then because nobody, you know, most everybody oh. playing for the first time was scared to death of getting hit. Right. And, uh, so I that's one, when the surrender rule was birthed. Yeah, I had one. Nineteen eighty-three. Sunday, I had one game where my buddy says to me, "There's a whole mess of guys in that bunker. I'll cover you. Go jump inside the bunker." Okay. I'm like, okay. So I run. He lays down a shot or two. I run. I jump over the bunker wall into the middle of the bunker. I turn and I yell, "Surrender!" There's six guys. They all got their hands up in the air. <laughs> Everything is so much slower then too. And and so I mean, would you still do that though now with the 15 BPS and oh yeah, because my my job, even up through the uh, semi-auto era of tournament play, my job was to get over the 50 at the beginning of the game and make people shoot at me so that they weren't shooting at the rest of my team. So that was the draw for you, the exhilaration and that anticipation. There is no better feeling in the world of competition paintball than walking off the field with people from the other team ragging on you because you got shot stopping and pausing and saying, yeah, but how many of you are there coming off the field with me? That's right. That is right. Hero. No, be- no better okay. feeling in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, you know, the team tour de force out of California, old, yeah. old old team those guys came out and played a five-man tournament um either in new york or or in pennsylvania i don't remember but my team was playing in it and uh they wiped out everybody on my team left me in the flag station walked up on the flag station very ostentatiously loaded their view loaders with 200 rounds each, mm-hmm. and then all five of them unloaded on me <laughs> until they were until they were empty, <laughs> laughing, laughing and taunting me the entire time. <laughs> oh my gosh! But it was revenge for stuff I had done to that to them. So you know. <laughs> so when was the last time you played paintball? Um, in a while. No, I played one of the Chicago. It's been a while, yeah, but. I played one of the Chicago um, 
UWL slash NXL tournaments that they had out there a, a few years ago. Okay. Um, I couldn't. Ninety four, ninety six. I you know I, I no two thousand four, two thousand six. I, I don't remember. Um, okay. And I played, and I got a couple of scores up on the board, but I realized very quickly that um, I've had two heart attacks. And I realized oh. very quickly that uh, I am going to be the proverbial paintball player who dies of a heart attack running back with the flag if I don't stop playing. So, gotcha, gotcha, uh, gotcha. Now, the funny thing about that is ages before that, with my team, the Werewolves, at one point, we were, we were a very talky, uh, intellectually oriented team. And we talked about, we, we, would, we would play contingencies with each other. And we would set up scenarios verbally and discuss what we ought to do as a team and, you know, institutionalize a lot of game play. Mm-hmm. And, and during one of those sessions, I told them, because of an incident that had happened during the game that we had played, I said, listen, if I'm running back with the flag and I drop because I'm having a heart attack, fucking hang the flag before you come back to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now they all understood because they were paintballers. But let me tell you a real story about paintballers, okay? Uh-oh. Paul Fogel is the one who owns uh, Skirmish USA. Yeah. And Paul is very largely responsible for showing a lot of field owners how to make a successful commercial field operation. Uh, uh, a lot awesome. of th- a lot of things he introduced that that everybody has adopted over the years. Good. Thank you, Paul. And uh, he also ran a whitewater rafting business. Good for him. See, I love out of, that. Out of the same location. Brilliant. So one day, one of my guys comes back in off the field. And he's like, uh, anybody got any uh, duct tape or electrical tape or bandages? I sliced my finger open and I, I got I to cover it up. So we found some electrical tape and we taped up his finger and he went back out and played. And Paul, who was there at the time, turns to me and he says, that's the difference between a paintball player and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? And he goes... You wrap electrical tape around it and you go back out and play. That My wife would have wrapped her, they'd be going to the emergency room. Right? <laughs> and 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 what good paintballer does Oh, I'm wet. It's cold. Tape. Can we leave now? <laughs> They're back. <laughs> like, Brilliant. And, and from that, I got one of my signature lines for taking new groups out to the field, which was, oh, and last thing, remember, this is the woods, so be careful or you'll get dirty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Wow, Steve. Oh, that. Now, uh, wh- so your thoughts on maybe improvement mm. in what you're seeing or hearing about? Like you've heard about some of the newer stuff they're doing. Not really. Like, I'm. I'm very no? much out of the loop. No. I mean, I know. Oh. I know. Kevin keeps me informed of what he's doing with the with the Woods Bowl World Cup. The Master Blasters. Yeah, Kevin. I, I'm I, an, I stole I'm one of member, his jerseys. I'm a me- I'm a member of the Master Blasters. I love um, them. Now, here's a funny, quick, quick little story. Three area teams: the Werewolves from New Jersey, the Caretakers from, um, not the Caretakers, the the Court Jesters from Long Island. 
boy, they're going to be pissed at me for getting the name wrong. New Jersey um, jesters. No, right? court jesters from oh, Long Island. Oh, there's a court jesters in Long court Island. Jesters, okay. Yep. And there's an old time team and master gotcha. blasters from New York. Okay. And we always threw each other at local tournaments. And this is the way that it always went. We would beat the jesters. The blasters would beat us. And then the jesters would beat the blasters. So you guys are all <laughs> winners. <laughs> but, and it was, but it, it never changed the order. Right, we always, right. beat, you know, the blasters never beat the jesters. We always beat the jesters. Oh, okay, okay. Just okay. one of those, one of those kinds of things. Local, local painful history. But wow. um, improvements, you know, what I, what I am not familiar with, and largely deliberately so, I have to say, is where the NXL or the Expo format has gone and what they're doing with it now. My, yeah. my, my understanding is that it's still a time. Game yes. format, um, which is incidentally what's in my patent is a game of paintball that always goes the same length of time. That's one of the things that made it a unique game format. Um, and uh, um, they, you, you get a point by by hitting the buzzer, and then yep. you, then you reset for however Correct. much time is left on the clock, and you can do Correct. it again and again and again, and that's how the score gets racked up. Yes. Yep. Hasn't evolved in 20 years. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it still has the central problem of every paintball tournament for broadcasts. And that is that there is no central focus. If you think yeah. about every other televised sport, there is a ball of some kind. Yeah. We've talked or, about that. Or a yep. single or a single player performing a critical action in the game, like pitching in Correct. baseball that the camera and the crowd can focus in on and say i'm watching the action wherever the ball is or the puck or whatever that's where the action is mm -hmm. and, and paintball has if it's if it's a 10-man game you have 10, you have 20 focuses on the field plus your uneducated viewers and i've heard this yeah. Oh, we've talked about this over why, and over. Why did that player go behind that yellow thing shaped like a triangle? Yeah. Because it's cover. Well, but why are the other bunkers different shapes? Well, they think it makes it interesting and challenging for the game and whatnot. Right. Uh, I, that's just confusing. I don't understand why they're going one place versus another place. Um, Interesting. You can't track the ball. Do you know? Do you know the? Do you know the Millses from um, Warpig? Yes, Bill and Don Mills of Warpig. Of course, I know them ages very well. And, ages and ages and ages ago. Yeah. Bill, Bill and I worked out <clears throat> that it would be possible to chroma key the paintballs so that you could actually see the streams of paint coming out of the uh, out of the guns and you would then be able to oh look there's four streams of paint all focused on one location that must be important someplace right. to look. but what i did with paint fest and i still think it's superior i really do the uspl format had 40 bunkers on the field every single bunker was a 10 foot long, four foot diameter cylinder bunker laid down. No different shapes, 
three different colors. Bunkers in the middle section of the field were white. Bunkers on one player end were blue. Bunkers on the other end were all red. Okay? Yeah. So you could easily say to the audience, on the red side. But beyond that, we numbered the bunkers. So an announcer could say, check out player 18 behind red three. Well, there's only one red three on the field. Uh, there's a real easy way to focus their attention. Right. I actually know somebody that uses that in their codes when they do communication on these right. layouts. Well, it was, it was, so that totally makes sense. And it okay. Was, and it was drawn from, you know, we used to go out on the field and we would name locations. That's right. the beehive. That's the, the quadrant. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, even, even, even in the woods, we would name the trees. You know, that's the pissoir over there. And, and the pissoir was, <laughs> yeah. piss was the tree that everybody pissed behind in the hopes that an opponent <laughs> would decide to kneel down. Um, Don't and, go to that bunker. Yeah. And, but or go out. to it because nobody else is. <laughs> you, have, you have to really watch out for the teams who have a, a serial defecator on their team. Because oh. they, will, they will shit in the bunkers. Um, yes, I know. Of, I know of a man named Poopy, which you probably do too. I also, I, yes, I, you I, totally you know, know Poopy. <laughs> do, do you know the origins of Poopy's name? Nickname? Yes, I do. Okay, I right. totally do. Do you want to say it? I, no, I was at that event. <laughs> Gross. Um, they all did it though. All those dirty ten to fifteen years ago pro players did that. <laughs> Well, because you're I mean, playing look, a long game, there, there, look, you ain't got you know, time to go to the bathroom. We, we all we all have that that sports rivalry of and it's a weird dichotomy. It's a weird psychology. But you step onto the field and I hate those fucking guys. Yes. But you, but you come off the field and it's like, oh, man, that was a great game. Yes. Yeah, Still, uh, it's know, very blah, blah, blah. well. I <laughs> think know? it's a little bit different now, except for the the older generation that still went back to playing the mechanical again. That Tim Montressor oh, now thankfully it's like, now it's revived. More, I, I hate you guys, and I'm always going to hate you guys. No, yeah, it, no, well, with the newer generation, in my opinion, could be yeah, just no, me. This being new elderly, generation but, is is very into themselves and is, you know, we're better than everybody else. That's, but that's just how this generation is, unfortunately. And once they get on the field, cause then we go back to the, they're that alpha mentality. It's even more I mean, amplified. There's yeah, still some yeah, good yeah. people. Like we're some of us parents that are trying our best to raise our children up in the right way that we think is the right way, you know, you know but, I, I, but yeah, it's not the same. I, I don't even remember what. By the way, we're just joking. We're just talking about the attitudes and the mentality of the right, right. Well, generation. Yeah, my child, I'm trying to teach differently because we still want to be friends with teams. And that's why through Destiny, we have a lot of collaborations and we have a lot right. of regional teams that call themselves Destiny too. Right, so right, right. Kind of created a family kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then same, it, kind of, same kind of thing that Kevin is doing with the Blasters. Exactly. And Correct. And so, and that's what we should be doing, you know, and, and, um, but it is unfortunate because part of what we are seeing is that like the surrender rule, for example, I'll tell you real quick, a guy named Luis Munoz down in Florida played pro. Um, and he actually made somebody surrender in an X ball style match. Who does that? Right. Came down to a four 
Well, it came down to a, I think there was like, like three to one guy left. And then he ended up running up on him, backdoored him, came around him and tapped him on his shoulder and said, Hey, uh, do you want to, do you want to come out? And the guy thought he was a ref. Right. And so then I was like, that's amazing. Who does that? That takes a lot of control and you got to be very mindful of the next step. And he even unloaded his pods out of his pack. So he didn't make any noise as he was approaching that, that, uh, you know, opponent. Yep. yep, Well, everybody, there were some people that actually made comments like, oh, he's making paintballers soft. Like it should be more violent. He should have just bunkered that guy. And and if I would have fought the guy, if I would have come off the field and he did that to me, I would have beat him up. Really? What's worse? What's more humiliating? Uh, fights in the you know? parking lot. Yes. Yeah, you know. So so that I mean, we have moments like that. But overall, there's still a very good majority of people that are, that do want to still be friends and go have fun playing this game, which it is a game. You guys, let's not us. Let's let's not forget we're here to have fun. Um, but they've made it a lot like a business. A lot of these teams are just blowing so much money. And, you know, like the idea of bringing your own paint to save and, a few and, bucks. <clears throat> really? What are they getting for it? <clears throat> Honestly, what, 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 what are they getting if, for if it? Somebody is sponsoring a team to the kind of level that they need to be sponsored to, to be an effective team. And one of the legs of the tripod is the funding to do what you need to do for a paintball team. Right. Um, you're not getting any exposure on television. You're not getting any mass you're getting right. streaming. You're getting streaming. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a that's, YouTube thing. Maybe because it's not thing. big. En- that's not big enough, though, to, to in the long run justify those kinds of dollars on a sustainable basis. It's yeah. fun because I want to do it. Maybe I'm rich and I got some extra dollars floating around. It is luxurious in that Yeah, and and and, and it's, you know, and the luxuries are the first thing to go when the yep. belt starts getting tightened. So oh, yeah. my sentiment exactly Paintball still has not found the formula for bringing expenses down. Now, here's another thing about paint fest. Let's bring paint fest back because because of um, the way that the format was laid out. We knew that people were going to shoot an inordinate amount of paint until they learned how to play that version of the game. And we also knew from our test games that once you learned how to do it, it was paintball in the woods, sneaky Pete, crawling, taking your time, coming up with tactics and strategies, plus some other stuff, which I'll explain in a second. Um, And it would really slow the game down. And one of its virtues was that you did not consume an inordinate amount of paint. You shot as much as you needed to for the situation. Right. But you didn't go through gobs and gobs of paint. So I got um, Craig Miller out at Paint Fest. Okay. He's, he's, been, we- he's been wearing a shit-eating grin. He was a PMI rep at the time. Mm-hmm. He's wearing a shit-eating grin from ear to ear because he's watching the game and he's watching tens of thousands of rounds go downfield every game. Yeah. He's ding, like, ding, ding. He's like, this register. is great. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons why they didn't work with me on developing my version was because they heard what I said was that ultimately when teams learned how to play this effective tactically, the paint consumption would come way down for professional paintball. But now here was my corollary. Kids play soft, people play softball inordinately all over the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. 
they're inspired by professional baseball. Yes. Yeah. They played little leagues all over the country for football, for baseball, for hockey, for everything. They're inspired by the professional end of the sport. That's where all of the retail money comes from. You pay the professionals to be on TV to say, hey, kids, something that you want to get your parents to spend all their money on. You don't charge the talent to appear on TV. I am feeling the same, Steve. I think you unplugged yourself too, by the way, because you're- I, I uh, just pulled my- back. Sorry. There we go. Okay. <laughs> yes, I concur, Steve. I so, 100% agree with you. And, 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 and I always am baffled, like, why did we fail to get this televised? Well, you know, what's, what's crazy is- um, we now now I'm starting to see a lot of fields bringing out those 50 cal paintball markers, which obviously fire at a lower velocity, which they're allowing and, and younger children to playing. Yeah, but they right. are allowing younger children to now come out to the field and play, and it's the parents are seeing this as it's safer and it's a lot of fun. But and it's a misnomer. It's a, they get hit more with the 50 caliber than they do with the 68 caliber because the balls don't freaking break. Yeah, that's true. Well, well and they, they back to the reason. Right. Now I have, and I have. But, but why is it on TV? Right. Because I don't I think also, Eugene, you heard us ask that question. He said, because, and I was like, oh, tell us, Steve, sorry. why? Well, did, I, did, I, did I tell you? <laughs> no. I, I, oh, I was, oh it, it's, it's not on TV. Because whenever it has come down to being able to organize a large enough group of teams with a league that is solid, they haven't been able to produce it. Okay, here you are, you're, you're Mr. Television Executive, and somebody is coming to pitch you a new sport to put on television. It's got some great things behind it. It's co-ed, it's young, it appeals to people. It's got guns, and we're in America, so any sport that involves guns, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. But then they sit down with whoever brought the pitch to them, and they ask the inevitable question. Are you the only one that's producing this kind of thing? And the answer is no. So what the broadcaster hears is, oh, so I'm going to go put millions of dollars into producing it and getting this thing on the air and wasting valuable airtime to try and make a go of it when somebody can walk right next door to the other people who are doing the same thing and, and put on the same show for less than me. Hmm. It's, it's, the equation is not there. The equation is not there. We tried. We tried to organize everything through the NPPL under a uh, an umbrella of we would like you to bring your league in to the NPPL. You and 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 the pitch was you. We're not going to change anything that you're doing. We just want you to be part of our overriding organization that's representing competition paintball in the United States. You want to do your thing and have your own qualifications and your own rules and everything? That's fine. Just be part of what we're doing also and call yourself an NPPLE kind okay. of thing. 
and, and unite everybody under one organization so that we could say this organization represents at least 60, if not more percent of everybody playing and producing competition paintball in the United States. Then you have a market. I see what you're saying. Uh, Instead of having all these different leagues, is that what they're asking? Just become one big unified league. Why, why should I say to my potential sponsors that I'm going to be charging tens of thousands of dollars to for a minute of airtime commercial that I'm not the only game in town. And well, why, the NXL is the only game in town, though. No, they're not. Anybody else could come along and put on that same thing. This is true. Okay, I got you. I understand. Okay. They can't, the NXL can't say to that other entity, no, sorry, we have all the players in the world under contract. They only play for our approved leagues. Okay. It's amazing. It, it's almost like, I guess I could say. Why, like why has there why has there never been another major league baseball league? Because have, the MLB is rich. <laughs> it's because, because the MLB was able to represent itself to the federal government that they should be a legal monopoly. The same yeah. for the NFL. Right. The same right. for the NBA. They're all under the same umbrella. That that it's necessary to the proper functioning of a professional sports league to be the only game in town. And other people have tried. Look, I'll tell you another real quick story. When I did my NXL thing, word got around because I've been talking to a lot of broadcasters. Right. Not my NXL, the USPL. I got a telephone call. Do you remember the XFL? Mm hmm. The, the, repla- yeah. the, the, the replacement football league being put on yep. by by the uh, professional wrestling organization. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. They, they called me up. They said, we're interested in your format. XFL is dead, but we got stadiums to fill. <laughs> Sounds like the real deal. Right. Uh-huh. I said, I'm very interested in talking to you guys, except for one thing. And they're like, what's that? And I said, if you're going to turn it into a clown show, like your professional wrestling productions, I'm not interested. They never called me back. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's part, it was part of the, the, at the time, I think it was WWF. Yep. And yep. That was they wanted to bring that in. Oh, oh, sure. Now, I could see. To the extent of we have a team that's the bad team, we have a team that's the goody two shoes, and you know we make personalities for the teams and promote mm-hmm. them that way. But on the field, it's got to be straight up play, or I want nothing to do with it. Yeah. And that remark of mine was a test to see whether they were even willing to discuss that or not. <laughs> and since they never called me back, obviously they weren't willing to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. And I'm That's I'm funny. glad I'm glad that I didn't because that would have had money behind it. It would have been no doubt. It would have been entertaining. Yeah. You know, and right. and and that would be painful on television today. And you'd have no hope of getting a real version of the sport on the tube with that thing sitting there drawing ratings already. Mm-hmm. So. 
Well, Steve, what are you up to nowadays? Like now that you're not really doing a whole lot of paintball stuff, do you ever see yourself maybe making a comeback? Perhaps. Um, I, I never even really thought about it except for, um, I am moving to Florida and my current business is not doing so well. And I figured, well, I could probably find a field down there that I could pick up a few dollars repping at it, nothing else. Um, maybe, and then maybe work my way into teaching some basic classes and tactics. And, you should totally you know, do that. Stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but you see, the thing is, is I, I'm not, I'm not a big self promoter. I mean, I can talk about myself when you give me an opportunity like this to do it, but I'm not the guy that sits down and then says, okay, now I have to go put a note in this Facebook group, that Facebook group, the other Facebook group. <laughs> then, I have to, then I have to email the flyers and say, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in any of that. Yeah. Not that I don't know how to do it. It's not that I can't do it. I am totally and completely. My basic psychological attitude is I've created something that's interesting. If people want to do it, they'll find it. And I'm not going to go and beg them. And this is the thing that annoys me about movies these days, all the blockbusters. Okay, they spent $200 million on the production. That sounds good. But they also spent $200 million putting seats, butts in the seats. Correct. Yeah. Marketing. Yeah. What kind of legitimacy does it have if you're buying your audience? This is true. Mm. And that's my internal psychological attitude is I don't go out and buy audiences. So if people happen to find it and they like it and they want to spend money on it, great. Otherwise, I have to find a person that I can work with who will handle all that crap. Otherwise, it just will never get done. Well, I um, want to promote you. So if so you ever do decide you want to do that, maybe maybe through Destiny, because I have about 150 members, right. we, we should learn our history. And I would love to have a clinic and have you teach that. I would uh, I would pay for that. Can I, so, can I, can I so tell you? So let me know when you move to Florida and my mom is down there and I'll come and visit right. my mom and kill a couple of birds with one All stone. Right. <laughs> All right. But what I'm, uh, what I'm doing now when I, uh, when I left paintball and it was, I'm putting this behind me or I'm going to take a gun and shoot somebody or myself. No, don't do that. No, I mean, no, literally the whole, the whole USPL thing had me going out of the house at 4 a.m., and walking up and down the empty streets, screaming and yelling at the night air. Um, that, that, Frustration. Will give, that will give you some idea. I got um, you. But, uh, but I, I finally found a way to, to come to terms with that whole thing. And Okay, life lessons learned. Yeah. Um, but what I'm, what I'm doing now and what I've been doing since uh, 2006, um, my first true love is uh, science fiction. Mm. I had a feeling. <laughs> and I, I'm right there with you. Okay. And I, um, <clears throat> I was, I was working at, you know, protein products. Um, used yes. to be a, a big game manufacturer in the field. They did arms and barrels and red dot sites and the uh, mini mag and, and the micro cocker mm-hmm. and a lot of other kinds of stuff. I used to work for them. And one of the things I did for them was uh, intellectual property portfolio management and uh, my wife was working there too at the time. And um, uh, if your job is to look up trademarks on the registry and see what other people have and what might be available or who is registering what, 
it really gets boring very quickly. I bet. So in order to keep myself, in order to keep myself going, I would occasionally look up things that interested me. And one of the things that I checked was amazing stories, which had previously been owned by uh, TSR, the Dungeons Mm -hmm. and Dragons gaming company. Yeah. And, um, one day I checked out amazing stories and instead of saying live, it said dead. And I, I honestly thought that I was dreaming. So I called my wife over and I said, take a look at that. And tell me what it says. These are amazing stories live. And I'm like, okay, we have to talk. So I applied for the trademark. I was doing trademarks and, and patent app, uh, provisional patent applications. Okay. So there was no law firm or legal fees involved in putting the application in. It was just the registration fee, which was like 385 bucks at the time. Okay. And we agreed to spend the money because on the off chance, it was only 385 bucks, might be able to do something with it. Um, and if worse comes to worse, I could find somebody in the science fiction field that would be interested in acquiring it from us. All right. Well, then it took three years for the trademark to grant because my fear was being realized somebody in Canada had beat me by less than a day in the filing and they wanted it for a series of Canadian travel books. Oh, brainwave. No worse fate fate than having amazing stories now be the title for something that's not science fiction because it was the world's first science fiction magazine. Yeah. Yeah. 1926 was when the first issue came out. Mm Mm-hmm. So I had three years to plan, and I looked at all kinds of stuff and came up with an idea for a socially networked magazine. So an online kind of a thing, but with social network hanging on it. And I even had some people in paintball who I talked to. I said, you know, this is going to take a few bucks and uh, this new publication and whatnot, and would you be interested? And I had several people who said, yeah. But then 2008 happened, and everybody said, you know, I don't have the money anymore. Right. By that time, I had already announced the acquisition of the name, and everybody in the science fiction field was twisting my arm, do something, do something, do something. So we bootstrapped into where we're at right now, which is we have a quarterly publication that's now in hiatus, uh, and the online website. Uh, 12 anthologies out on the market, um, four other books with a fifth one coming, uh, novellas, uh, individual author short stories and stuff like that. And um, we licensed NBC to reuse the name for the Steven Spielberg television show. And I recently served them with a uh, notice of breach and termination of the contract because they have not been paying me. Oh, jeez. So the intention is we're going to get it back, and I know a bunch of people who are in the business, and we're going to see what we can do with it as a, a streaming kind of a thing, at which, point, at, at which point NBC will turn around and um, think about suing me because their contention is that um, they still own the, uh, the rights to the trademark that they've licensed from me. They have not responded to our formal legal notice of breach and termination. And it's been two months now since they were notified. Hmm. And I had done this. I did this to them one time before previously. Yeah. 
uh, and um, they didn't answer until I pissed off Spielberg. Oh, and then, then they then they were on. I'm serious. And then uh, then uh, they were on the phone to my attorney. And these were the first words that they said to my attorney, quote, unquote. Will you please tell your client to stop tweeting? Apple is angry and Mr. Spielberg is very upset. <laughs> to, which my, to which my attorney said, good. Now maybe we'll get a response out of you people. <laughs> wow. So that's been taking up a lot of your time lately. Plus, I think you're, you're, yeah, you just said you're moving to Florida. Yeah, I'm in the process of selling my house. The painters come in tomorrow. Uh, and um, then I'm pretty much done with, uh, and they, my real estate agent told me that her average sale time between listing and selling, four days. Four days. And I'm taking out of this place roughly three and a half times what I paid for it. Wow. So I'll, have a, I'll have a little scratch to do something with when I move to Florida. Nice. That is definitely Well, nice. I'm glad you're moving to tropical Florida. I'm not. Uh, I hate Florida. You hate Florida? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was just being polite. The first, it's the so first, hot down there. It's got a lot of mosquitoes. And oh, hey, I owned, I owned a field in Florida. I was outside Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all weekend Ooh. long in that sun. Um, you don't have to tell me, but um, uh, the further north you go in Florida, the further south you are. That's, that's this the is true. I know. Look, I'm from New Jersey. My dad was from New York and he moved us down to South Florida in 1984. That's crazy. I get it. I've heard that before. The town that my wife and I owned a home in, the biggest crime on the local police department's books where Florida goat Florida goat theft oh my god goat theft I don't even <laughs> all right well on that note <laughs> wow really good talking to you Steve you see in Florida where the goats are <laughs> well actually uh looking at our time we definitely we've definitely probably got to start wrapping it up as much as I want to hear even more stories about what's going I could on talk Steve. To you forever I know seriously I could too because well thank you Oh my gosh! Just hearing from where you Paper started. Paper encyclopedia. Uh, yeah, and, but can it's I, also the I, fact that. Go ahead. What would you? Uh, I was going to ask if I could tell you about a project that I may be working on. May be working on. Um, you still got time, B? I okay. mean, we've got. Do we have time? Yeah, we. Um, okay. I just have a lot of things going on, so I live okay. in right. you know, in a very have, busy area. I, I, I've done yes, of books. course. I've done three books for paintball. Uh, one that. was Maxing uh, Guide to Winning Tournament Play, mm -hmm. which was the second book ever written about paintball tactics. Uh, I did The Complete Guide to Paintball, which I had sections in. Uh, and then I did um, A Parent's Guide to Paintball, which is still, still out there. I'm thinking of working on a third one. Um, and this one would be devoted to paintball players' big fish tails. <laughs> oh, okay. So, and I'm thinking of calling it paintball fish tails or something similar to that. <laughs> and uh, hi, um, and and I would uh, find individuals who had and it, 
the, the current plan is to have different chapters. So tales of daring do, tales of revenge, tales of tales of tales of kind of thing, categorize mm-hmm. people's different painful stories into these different sections with, with a theme behind them. So that's that's what I'm currently thinking about and kind of working on a little bit. That would definitely be pretty funny. That'd be pretty awesome to hear some of these stories because I being on the field and he, just hearing some stories from some guy like I was out here and I did this. I bunkered like twenty people. It's like no, you didn't, guy. Come on. No, but what, you see, the thing is, is what's great about those stories is that they may be exaggerated, but there's there's truth to them as well. Yeah, there's there's there, always there just a truth. hint of truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That's well, what I'm thinking about doing, and if I if I make the World Cup, Woodsfall World Cup uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, which I'm hoping to be able to drive down to, um, I'm planning on interviewing a bunch because a lot of people, a lot of industry old timers are going to be there, and I'm going to be interviewed or trying to interview a bunch of them and see what kind of response I get, and if it's a good response, then that then then I will work on uh, gathering uh, the materials for that book. That would be awesome. Well, Steve, if you do get that going, definitely think of us uh, over here at Behind the Mask. We'd love to get you back on to talk more about that and even Anytime. talk more about just your stories. Now, you see, I think what, what paintball industry really ought to be doing, and you know we got a bunch of NASA scientists working in our industry, a lot of yes. really, really great engineers. And we do. People. What they need to do is work on one of two technologies, either effective cloning technology or matter transmitter technology. Hello, I've been had, saying that for years. If we had, <laughs> I, if we had either of those, the, the tournaments all over the place would no longer be a problem. I that hear that. It's true. I just need Definitely. it for um, myself. I, I say I need five clones, to be honest. Yes. So yeah. my life would be so much easier. Like, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> all right, well, on that note, <laughs> I know that we've definitely B's got to get moving on to other things that she's got going on. I'm okay. I've nothing better to do today, but uh, Steve, it is, again, it was awesome talking to you. Such an honor. Every time I talk to you, such an honor. Definitely. And we'll definitely want to have you on again. uh, Even if it's after, right after that, the woods ball world cup, it'd be awesome to hear about how that went. And uh, yeah, I mean, B anything else you got to say or anything that you want to promote? I am, I'm just honored to have Steve's phone number. Um, I have some, you know, like really deep emotional feelings about this man. Cause I do put him on a pedestal. Cause I, I do know his history. I just talked to Josh Silverman about you the other day. And, um, both of us feel like, you know, I hope you're in the paintball hall of fame. Please tell me they inducted no, you. No, they have not. Okay. Now me. I'm super pissed. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, like, it's okay. Like then. Everything else, like everything else in paintball is political. Look at the people who got to decide who would be inducted. Yeah. You know, but that's going to change because I'm, I, 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 not, really I, don't, wanna... I don't consider it to be a legitimate thing because it's not being done on a fair and open basis. And but it we... has nothing, nothing to do with whether or not I got in or not, because like I said, I walked away from paintball and if I was in a museum somewhere, I could care less. Yeah, but we have people that are in the Hall of Fame that are not involved in paintball anymore either. So, but again, I think it's just what we need to do is just do better in terms of telling the stories that are a necessity in order for us to learn from our history. Telling, right? telling, telling the true stories of paintball. Telling history. the true stories. Steps, absolutely. Steps on toes. 
and recognition where recognition is truly due. You know, I, I, Bob Guernsey, don't get me started. You know, that man deserves a lot more than, again. Don't get get me started. I have stories about that guy too. So maybe we'll, we'll hold it for another uh, podcast. (laughs) I love you, Steve. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Definitely. It was again, honor, pleasure, but this is Eugene. And again, we've had B and Steve on, and I just want to, again, let everybody out. (laughs) You know what? It's, it was a longer podcast than normal, but you know what? With everything that we've heard, it was great. But for me, I'm going to let everybody else know, like, just like always get out there, play paintball, go to your local stores, Definitely, you know, get in there, uh, purchase whatever you need to purchase and go out and play. It's an awesome sport. Once you play it, you're going to get hooked. And uh, you can check us out on Instagram, which is Behind the Mask Media. And you'll find us there. And also, of course, all our podcasts are available and you'll see our link tree there. So for for us here at Behind the Mask, Eugene again, and we're out of here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.